Hello, my name is David Flynn, and I'm a partner at Phillips Lytle and head up the firm's energy practice team. Uh, joining us today for this podcast is Kevin Lanahan, who is External Affairs and Corporate VP at the New York ISO, as well as Dennis Elsenbeck, who's Head of Energy and Sustainability at Phillips Lytle. Welcome to you both. Thanks very much, Dave. Looking forward Thanks, to it. Thanks, David. Kevin, before we uh, jump to you, I'm just going to let everybody kind of know the role that you play at the ISO. You head up the ISO's government relations, stakeholder services, member relations, and regulatory affairs. You have 20 plus years of experience in the energy industry and have provided strategic vision and leadership in a number of different positions over the last 20 years. I'd like uh, and welcome you to our podcast today. And uh, we think you bring a unique but very important perspective to the discussions uh, regarding the electrification of New York State's economy and some of the constraints and issues that are emerging as New York moves ahead to integrate and meet the requirements of the Aggressive Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Kevin, I'd like you to make some opening comments. Well, first, thanks for the opportunity to be with you folks today and, and to participate in the podcast. Um, the New York Independent System Operator is, uh, as the name implies, we are an independent entity. We are heavily regulated, but we're an independent entity um, required under Federal Energy Regulatory Commission tariff to perform um, planning studies that uh, incorporate a, a lot of data that we get from various different sources, both the state and um, uh, state agencies, but also uh, places like Moody's and Standard & Poor's to put together uh, in-depth reports about the changes that are happening with the electric system, as you said, as we uh, work to comply with the, the CLCPA. Uh, so I'm here today to provide a little bit of that independent analysis that you'll find in those planning studies that we put together. Talk about the advance of electrification that's happening across the state that's impacting um, our, our planning process, our demand and load forecasts. Uh, talk about the effect and the impacts of economic development that are happening across the state. That is a good news story, but it's something that we need to take into strong account as we plan for how to keep the system, the electric system, reliable through this transition. And then hopefully answer some questions a little bit more about what we do, the intersection of the ISO, again, with uh, the issues of reliability, but then also the advance of technology and public policy. So it's my pleasure to be with you folks today. Thanks. Thank you. And we, again, we appreciate you joining us uh, today. Uh, Dennis, uh, your role as a member of the Climate Action Council that developed the scoping document under the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, those that have heard some of our prior podcasts will have a good feel for some of the issues and concerns and hurdles, frankly, that uh, the state is facing in its long-term implementation of the Climate Leadership Act. Perhaps in the context of having Kevin here uh, to provide some insights from the ISO's perspective, you can lay out some of the challenges that you see the state facing in meeting the requirements under the Climate Leadership Act. 
Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, if, if you look at uh, the Climate Act, uh, you, you have to view it from multiple lens. So I represent a number of clients that are renewable energy developers, uh, large commercial industrial energy consumers, economic development developers, and agencies. And they look at the Climate Act in, in different ways. One looks at it from the point of view of, of the goals. Here's the goals. That's uh, X amount of supply requirements to meet the supply side of the renewable energy, wind and solar and grid level storage. But on the other hand, our developers, our large commercial industrial consumers are really concerned with the issue of resiliency of the electric system. They've come to depend on New York's oversight of a very strong electric system. And so that's what they're looking for. So it's a blend. But I think from uh, our perspective and the perspective of who I represent, we have to really think about not just how do we achieve the climate goals, but how do we actually prepare the infrastructure for future growth and the stability, especially in our manufacturing sector? Those are great points, Dennis. And, you know, with with the emerging mix of renewables, uh, which are, you know, intermittent in their physical nature, it sort of creates some of that tension or conflict that you just mentioned. And Kevin, I know that's something that the, um, you know, ISO is not just looking at, but takes very seriously. Maybe you can give us a sense from the ISO's perspective of, of what that group is looking at to try and address some of those issues or tensions that Dennis just identified? Yeah, for a number of years with those planning studies that I mentioned earlier, we were, especially just after the CLCPA was ushered into law, we were, we were sort of waving our hands with the planning studies that we were issuing and saying, great change is coming. Uh, of course, we were seeing some technology begin to connect, renewable technology begin to connect long before 2019. Uh, but that really opened the floodgates in terms of um, the number of projects and the, and the amount of work that we were experiencing with renewable technologies looking to interconnect to the system. So for a number of years, we're sort of saying great change is, is coming. We need to get ready for it. And then after 2019, it was it was definitely a different message in terms of, OK, now we are experiencing that change almost on a quarterly basis, we can see the amount of electrification adoption increase. Electric vehicles, the length and more time that electric vehicles are on the road means that there's more charging necessary. We're seeing the adoption of heat pumps for space heating happening at an increased clip. And then, as we mentioned here a couple of times, we, we continue to see the economic development interests, large projects like Micron and Syracuse, but there are plenty of others in upstate New York that are appearing to be high energy intensive uh, manufacturing facilities or data centers looking to connect to the system. So all of this together is, is causing great change. We're also seeing deactivations of existing generators happen at an increasing rate. On the other side of that scale, however, what we call you know, additional generators looking at uh, additional generators actually connecting to the system, new resources, 
and then something we call upgrades, which is really essentially a generator that's already there, increasing their, their ability to, to provide more energy. That on that side of the scale, we're not seeing the kind of adoption and increase that we need in order to account for the gap of the deactivating units. So we're issuing some, some, uh, some messages about these challenges that are happening in the system because the other major responsibility that we have, in addition to planning for changes on the electric system, is maintaining reliability. And those challenges are, are revealing themselves in terms of the amount of surplus megawatts we have in the system that is declining not just in places like New York City, where we're retiring old fossil fuel peaker plants, but across the state in places that we didn't anticipate just a number of years ago, seeing the decline of surplus megawatts. And that raises some operating issues that we haven't really experienced before during winter. And those are the things that we need to plan for beginning now. All very good points. And a number of our listeners may not have a true appreciation of what the ISO does or what it can do, what its powers are. You guys do not set energy policy. You basically react to energy policy, whether it's regulations or directives or statutes. But you also have other obligations through the FERC tariff and otherwise. What can the ISO do? What is the ISO's role in addition to sort of waving the flag and saying we may have issues or we're going to have issues here, what can the ISO do to help us meet these concerns and issues and potential constraints in the system? Yeah, it's a great question. So first, I'll, I'll highlight what our mission statement says, and that is incorporates the, the state policy goals with reliability. So we believe that, that both can be balanced, ensuring power system reliability, competitive markets, wholesale electric markets with a clean energy future. That is our mission. So every day we're thinking about how to balance that. And, and again, like you say, we are reacting in, in a number of ways to the policy changes. And these planning studies aren't just good reads. They are recommendations on what needs to be done in order to maintain that balance between reliability, keeping the lights on and achievement of the goals. We don't have regulatory powers. We don't have statutory powers to mandate certain units stay on, but we certainly in certain, in some cases have the ability to point out which, which units are necessary according to the data to remain in place if identified for reliability purposes. There um, is a state emissions regulation known colloquially as the Peaker regulation for New York City. It establishes emissions reduction requirements for those, those units in New York City. That regulation does include language that says if the, the ISO identifies certain units are necessary, again, for reliability, that we can uh, tell the DEC that those units need to, the Department of Environmental Conservation are needed for reliability. We, we just did this a few months ago after a planning study revealed that we were going to be deficient in, New, in the summer of 2025 in New York City with a 500 megawatt deficit surplus megawatt deficit in that part of the system. And so we did recommend to the DEC that a uh, number of units that were scheduled for retirement in 2025 stay on for a two-year period. So there are certain strengths that we have in terms of being able to uh, effectuate some change on the system as we go through the, the transition to trying to meet the, the state policy goals. 
obviously a, a critical role in sort of balancing between what sometimes are competing interests or competing requirements. So uh, you know, I certainly don't uh, don't envy the the job of trying to uh, pull off that balancing act, but it's clearly you know something that we as a state will need to do. Uh, Dennis, one of your key issues from your role on the uh, scoping group was the economic development aspects of the Climate Leadership Act. Looking at the Climate Leadership Act, not just you know as a cost and a burden and a potential negative to economic development, but sort of flipping it and seeing and and looking to maximize economic development, whether it be related or unrelated to the energy supply system in the state. In your view, what are some of the key issues that you see the ISO having to deal with in the context of economic development? Thanks, David. There's a, a, a market view here. If you look at uh, greenhouse gases that we state by energy sector here in New York, electric generation accounts for, let's say, 13% of overall greenhouse gases. And yet it's the priority of New York State to achieve these generation goals, which is on the supply side of the electric system. This has prompted programs and incentives to be created that, that really push towards land acquisition, not necessarily where transmission assets are located or where there's load centers like towns, villages, cities, manufacturing facilities. So the market looks at it and says, if we're going to have to then redo a transmission structure so that we're actually connecting the renewable energy supply what are those economic development opportunities that as we're rebuilding the transmission system, can we align economic development opportunities? If you look across New York State, there's a number of key sites that developers look at that could be in Buffalo, Western New York, all the way to uh, downstate New York. The reality is we lack sufficient transmission asset capacity to, to build this potential economic opportunity. And when Senator Schumer, which we give him all the credit in the world uh, for the federal designated as a tech hub from Bo Buffalo, Rochester to Syracuse, you really have to step back and say, you know, if we really have a really huge queue of projects for renewable energy that both the utilities and the ISO are, are looking at is how to respond to, what part of that queue prioritizes something like the, the tech hub? Because the tech hub could really bring uh, revenue to the table, which helps offset some of the costs of the climate objectives, but it aligns transmission planning efficiency to not only meet the CLCPA objectives, but to build the transmission assets to the level that we are open to the market, whether it's the chips market, the data center market, et cetera. But we've got to make sure that the planning, the transmission planning process that the utilities are being ordered to do, just don't look at the CLCPA. 
but to include the potential for this economic opportunity that has been placed in front of New York. This is before we even think about our disadvantaged communities and at the distribution level, which the ISO doesn't really get involved in, but our local utilities do. So we start at the transmission level simply because those are our goals. Our goals set the priority of supply because we need 70% by 2030 of renewable energy mix and then 100% zero emissions by 2040. Most products and services look at the market or look at the demand first, but energy policy in New York has us looking at transmission. And if we're looking at transmission, make sure that we're including the economic development potential of New York in those planning strategies. So Kevin, the ISO has a lot of obligations and and tools in its belt. In what ways, if at all, does the ISO look at economic development kind of on a prospective basis when working to come up from a planning and uh, overall strategy perspective to meet the long-term energy goals of the state? We are in constant contact with the relevant state agencies uh, to make sure that they also have all of the most current information, contemporary data that, that we're pulling from various different sources and understand the changes in the system that we're seeing. So we engage on a regular basis, as I mentioned earlier, with the Department of Environmental Conservation, but also with New York State Energy Research Development Authority and the Public Service Commission, the Utility Intervention Unit here. But then to your question, also more and more these days, uh, Empire State Development, that's become extremely necessary as we as we enjoy a lot of the economic development interests that we're talking about here. Micron, again, is the, the big project that probably comes to mind first for folks, especially in upstate New York, but there's plenty of others. There's the, the stamping plant in Western New York. There's um, been a number of, of announcements just in the last couple of months. Uh, Dennis raised Senator Chuck Schumer, who's been part of those announcements, whether it's expanding SUNY Poly operations here in Capital District and Albany. We, the New York ISO is located in Rensselaer, New York, by the way. Or it's expanding the supercomputer that Elon Musk and Tesla are apparently planning for, for again, Western New York. So um, all of these projects have a certain energy intensive profile to them. And we play the part and the role of saying, okay, when one or a group of these projects reaches a certain milestone in terms of development, and they look like um, they are going to be, they're serious about eventually connecting to the system and opening operations, we begin to model that, that facility inside of our planning studies. And we've got very sophisticated software that uh, will plug projects in both on the load side, but then also on the, on the resource and generation side, see how all of this um, impacts the, the system, um, the as found or current infrastructure, and then uh, that will tell us, okay, here's where the investments are necessary. Here is where we need to upgrade infrastructure in order to maintain reliability at the lowest cost for consumers. And this process I'm describing here has just become more complex and intense 
in, in recent years because of everything that we're discussing here, you know, the need to maintain reliability through the transition, but then the different kinds of technologies that we're seeing enter the system. We're calling them inverter-based resources. I think somebody mentioned that earlier. That's a technology that's inherent to new wind and battery and solar resources. That, that technology operates differently than our traditional baseload thermal units have. And so all of this has to be taken into consideration, has to be studied, has to be determined for impacts. And then um, again, figure out what are the investments in order to get all of this done, but then also uh, maintain reliability. So the consumers, health and safety of our, our consumers and our residents is maintained, but then also the economy is supported. So, Kevin, those all make a lot of sense. And, you know, you mentioned Micron and projects like that. Those energy consumers, not only are they large in terms of quantity, but energy quality is very important to their operations. And and I know the ISO understands certainly reliability and resiliency. On the flip side, you've got a generation pool that's growing increasingly intermittent and more difficult to predict and manage. What does the ISO do to try and bridge that gap or potential conflict or tension in the system? We are, as I said earlier, we're already in discussions with Micron and several other facilities that wish to connect that are, sounds quaint to say, high tech. And if you're running a massive clean room operation, to your point earlier, energy quality is a big deal. So you, not only do the lights need to stay on, can't be any any disturbances when you're running an operation like that. So um, just more complexity. And so what can what can the ISO do? There are other evolving concerns and challenges before us all, and that that includes the extreme weather. So how do we, how do we account and build a, a resilient system in the face of that extreme weather, so that there aren't disturbances, um, so that there aren't even aside from accommodating all the new capacity and load that's that, that we expect, how do we um, make sure that there aren't these disturbances in the face of extreme weather? What can we do? Well, aside from the mandated, and I mentioned earlier that the tariff says there are certain planning studies that we have to perform and there are certain parameters around and protocols for those planning studies that we have to adhere to. But there are other studies that we've <clears throat> taken it up upon ourselves to put together so that there's more information out there for policymakers um, and developers and the utilities. One of those is called System and Resource Outlook. We issued the first of this report a couple of years ago. We're in the process of updating it. We uh, hope to have something in the next several months updated on that report this year. In a nutshell, it, it endeavors to roll up into one report a conclusion of here's the amount of investment uh, necessary to all this new load, both on the housing and transportation sector, but then also these large loads we're seeing in, in, with the economic development interest. It does take a look at the amount of transmission that's going to be necessary, uh, where those investments are necessary to be made, the number of constraints across upstate New York that we see over the next decade, how much capacity, how many gigawatts are really going to be necessary to keep a balance in the system, accounting for the intermittency of the new resources. Do we need um, a backup system if we go through this transition? When can that backup system that we see is the inherent generation mix that we have today? 
But how long does that backup system have to stay in place? <clears throat> how much of it, if you get closer to the 2040 CLCPA goal? And in a nutshell, in the last report, again, we're going to update this. We said there's about 38 gigawatts of generating capacity in the system now. By 2030, we're going to need an additional 20 gigawatts of new renewables on the system in order to meet the goals, meet the increased load that we're expecting. And then by 2040, this is a very big number, but at least 110 gigawatts of capacity is going to be necessary to, again, balance out the increase in demand with uh, reliability. One figure that's also in that report, by 2040, we do not see a possibility yet the current technology that we're anticipating studying of getting rid of the entire gas-based generation mix, we do see somewhere around 17,000 megawatts of that resource mix necessary to stay in place at 2040. For those occasions when the sun is not there, the wind is not there, there is extreme weather, that we have a system that we can rely on and, and fall back on, keep the lights on. So those are some, frankly, terrifying numbers that you're raising in terms of what we're going to need to meet the climate leadership goals. Dennis, from a public policy perspective, from a regulatory perspective, in your view, what is what does New York State need to do to be able to sort of meet the challenge that the ISO is doing a great job of laying out in front of us of what sort of what we're going to have to deal with. What, from a policy perspective, does New York need to do to meet the needs that the ISO is identifying? Yeah, thanks, Dave. I, I believe the state is trying to put together more streamlined transmission planning objectives. I, I think the governor just announced a uh, what she refers to as rapid, uh, which really looks at how do we expedite transmission planning process along with what Oris does with respect to uh, solar and wind development. So the policy, given the priorities that the policy is set today, they're trying to find different ways to, to expedite these type of programs. Because the Q uh, project Q, and I'm sure Kevin can speak to this more than I do, but I can tell you that Q continues to grow, which takes engineering capacity, not just from the ISO, certainly, but from the, the local utilities as well. But the real point that I think we need to always take a step back on is prior to the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, before that was put out, there was a major regulatory effort. It was referred to as reforming the energy vision. And one of the major tenets of that was the, the, the location of supply relative to the location of demand. And I think we need to really revisit that again. The, the concern that I've always had about policy that sets certain goals like uh, renewable energy and whether it be renewable energy in terms of wind or solar or grid level storage tends to then take away market incentive, takes away market creativity because it sets programs and incentives for predetermined outcomes. If you go back to the reforming our energy vision, 
there was a real opportunity. And we did put some of this in the scoping plan for the for CLCPA. One of the technologies certainly is nuclear, uh, these small modular reactors, and they can be built less than 300 megawatts now and certainly then can scale up because they're mostly factory built uh, as opposed to what was referred to as design build, which, which made everyone unique. But this allows us to rethink the zero emission goals and say that there's another way of achieving that. And there might be a way that, that allows us to locate major supply. And this is baseload supply. So nuclear is a 24-7 operation. It actually complements solar and wind, but it takes away the intermittency issue. It allows us to locate supply sources closer to where the demands are, where the projected demands are, and more importantly, closer to where we already have transmission assets. So instead of rebuilding our transmission assets, we just may need to upgrade them. And I'm often told that nuclear um, is a high cost, uh, a high cost alternative. We have to consider cost differently. If the renewable energy approach, and that's wind and solar plus grid level storage, is the alternative to a nuclear uh, option, well, what is the cost of the solar, the wind farm, the grid level storage, plus having to redo the transmission system versus the location benefit of something like a small modular reactor? And I'm not saying that's the only choice because I really believe you need all of these options on the table if we're going to achieve zero emissions targets, but do so with an eye towards economic sustainability is equal to our, our focus on environmental sustainability. All very good points. Um, I, I think we're really laying the the table clear here in the sense of the the tensions and the opportunities that exist as new york moves forward to electrify its economy and to develop emerging generation technologies and the necessary infrastructure to integrate generation with what will certainly be a growing demand going forward so I'd like to thank our participants uh, today on our podcast. As I mentioned, we have Dennis Elsenbeck, who's Head of Energy and Sustainability at Phillips Lytle, and Kevin Lanahan, who's Vice President at the New York Independent System Operator. Thank you, gentlemen, for participating, and have a good day. Thank you, David. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.